0: We're living in a time right now where it's really tough to figure out what's fact, what's fiction, what's truth, what's lie, you know, right from wrong. Our country has been riveted and polarized in this past month over the Supreme Court nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. And that fighting uh, started probably before that, right, long before that. And when he was nominated, you know, it, 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 the arguments were more around some of his judicial uh, decision making. But more recently, in the last couple weeks, it's been around the uh, the alleged sexual assault of Christine Ford back in high school at a party where everyone was getting drunk and supposedly under uh, behind closed doors. Uh, Brett, along with uh, a friend, were in the room and. Allegedly tried to um, molest or rape her. And then, in addition to that question, came the additional question of his drinking habits. You know, did he drink as much as he said, which is very little, or did he drink a, a lot? And so, there's been a lot of controversy around that. And these are really important questions of truth. And the expectations of most people in our country is that hey if you're going to be appointed to a lifelong appointed appointment at the highest court in the land we need truthfulness we need a hundred percent reliability there and uh and the problem is that you and i i mean we get kind of pre-processed information passed down through politicians through social media through the news media and you know i don't always think those are completely accurate do you and and so there's this question that we're left with like where's the truth i know someone's telling the truth where is it and so i found myself in the last couple of weeks just praying a lot because it's so hard to ascertain exactly nobody told nobody allowed me to read the fbi report nobody's bringing me on the meetings you know so it's like i i'm kind of just praying god let truth emerge here, because I'm not sure what that is. But the fact is that our country is polarized more than ever before, and the truth tends to get a little twisted on both sides, right? Compromises are made, and in our country, there are more shades of gray than there's ever been before. And we don't have a standard by truth which we judge what's right, what's wrong, what's real, what's not. And so it's very difficult to know what to believe, right? Today I want to talk about the validity and the veracity of Jesus Christ and the relevance that he makes in a person's life. Is Jesus the real deal? Is he who he said he was? Is Jesus still relevant today? Now most people would agree that Jesus is one way to God. One way, one of many different ways to find God. You know, that he is one way to kind of climb that big mountain, that there are many paths that lead up kind of the same mountain. Maybe you've heard that before. And, uh, and that Jesus is one way. And yet Jesus made a comment. He made a lot of comments that were politically incorrect. He made a lot of statements that were radical in nature And probably the most controversial statement he ever made was when he said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except me. He said, I am the truth and no one will get to the Father except through me by me. So why is this statement that was made by Jesus so controversial? I think it's controversial because this statement strikes kind of at the heart of a couple myths that about Christianity that maybe you've heard. Let me just explain a couple of them. One of them, myth number one, is all religions are basically the same. Here's how that usually goes. When you get right down to it, when you boil it all down to the bare essentials, all religions basically teach the same thing. So it doesn't matter which one you believe or which path you follow up that mountain, if you strip it all down to their essentials, you know, all of them believe in the brotherhood and the sisterhood of all men and women and the universal fatherhood and motherhood of God. But Jesus does not teach the same thing as everyone else. Jesus believed and taught he was God. And that belief got him killed. Why? Because it's radically different than all other religions. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones ready to kill him and stone him for that. Why? Because of blasphemy. Jesus is claiming to be God and they know it. So they feel they've been justified in order to put him to death right then and there. Ultimately, they do end up killing him for his claim that he was God. Jesus said this to him. He said, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? They said, we are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus was saying that he was God. Everyone knew that that's exactly what he was saying, that he was God. And this is so important Because you know that as you look throughout history, that through the history of the world, there's only very few people who've ever claimed to be God, and most of those were whacked. Very small amount of people, very small amount of credible people who ever said they were God. See, what happens there, that there's religions, right? Many world religions founded by uh, various people, Buddhism by Buddha, or Confucianism by Confucius, or Islam by Muhammad, Or you get those great Hindu teachers like Gandhi or the Mormons with Joseph Smith. And in all of these various religions, you have these founders, these teachers of these various religious streams. But the interesting thing is that Christianity is the only religion founded by someone who claimed to be God. Everyone else claimed to be a servant of God, a prophet of God, a pointer to God, a spokesman for God. Muhammad, Buddha, Krishna, Gandhi, you name it, never claimed to be God. But Jesus did. And Jesus claimed to be one with a father equal to God, worthy of people's worship. Now, based on that, you can only come to one of three different conclusions. One is he was a liar. He was deceiving people. The other is that he was, he was a lunatic. He was crazy. He was self-deluded. Maybe he didn't have bad intentions, but he himself was self-deluded and he was crazy. Or the third option is that he was Lord. He is God. He's either one of those three things. Jesus is different than everyone else because he's saying that he is God. And if he's God, then that is incredibly relevant to our lives. If he's God, that means he came to this earth to show us what God is like. It means he came to this earth to rescue us from the ravages of sin and guilt. It means that he came to make a way so that every person on the planet could be made right with God. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they would later condemn Jesus to die They were angered, they were flabbergasted on one occasion where they overheard Jesus saying that he forgave someone's sin. Listen to this in Luke's Gospel, uh, Chapter 2. He said to the paralytic, Jesus said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Nobody can forgive sin except for God alone. Only God can forgive sin. And Jesus was saying, by forgiving people's sin, I am God. And that's incredibly relevant because we're all sinners. We've all blown it. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all know it in our hearts. And so how do I take care of that sin issue in my own life? Do I just try and hope that the good outweighs the bad? Do I deny the guilt that I experienced? Do I go and try and get professional help from the guilt that I have? What do I do? Jesus is the one who forgives sin. Titus chapter three, verse five says, God saved us. It was not because of any good works that we ourselves had done, but because of his own mercy that he saved us. I don't know about you, but when I just let that soak in It's hard to believe, like I was saying earlier, hard to believe that God would love me. I can kind of believe it for you, but that God would love me, a sinner, a person who's made so many mistakes, broken, come from broken family, still today, not perfect, still sinning, and going, wow, God loved me that much to come for me? Did you know that God loves you with an unconditional love? He loves you so much. He loves you. There's nothing you can do that will cause him to quit loving you. God loves you, but did you also know he likes you? He likes you. Matter of fact, he delights in you. You are precious to him. You are his treasure, and he loves to spend time with you. So it does matter. It matters, it's relevant, what path you follow in your spiritual journey. Jesus's words dispel the myth that all paths lead to God. Myth number two, maybe you've heard it. All religions have equal claims on the truth. In other words, let's say Christianity is different than any other religion. It's still just one philosophy of many. It's only one valid option of many other religious systems. Even if there are differences, they all have claims on equal truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. Just live your truth. Have you ever heard that? Just live your truth, man. Sounds good. Matter of fact, it sounds great in our country because in the United States, we live in a a land that's very tolerant and pluralistic in our society. And our constitution protects the rights of any human being to believe whatever they want to believe. And I'm glad. You can believe anything in this country. Some people make the false assumption though that because the laws protect different belief systems that all belief systems are true when they're not. That's not true. Just because white supremacists believe they are a superior race and stockpile guns and ammunition and the government recognizes them and grants them free speech does not mean what they're teaching is equally true. Just because a radical Muslim believes in purging all infidels off the earth and that somehow that honors God does not mean that that's true. Just because some radical Christian church believes in rallies that scream at people and tell them God hates homosexuals doesn't mean that's true, because it's not. Just because someone believes in the motto, just live your truth, doesn't mean they're living the truth, or living in the truth, or that they know truth. You see, in our country, anybody is free to make any claim that they want to make, that they're the way, they're the truth, they're the life. But what's the difference between Jesus and all the other religious leaders who say, hey, come and follow me? How do we know that Jesus was telling the truth? Well, the reality is that only Jesus backed up his claims with unique credentials that gave him a unique credibility. Lots of credentials. I'm gonna mention a couple of them right now. First, Jesus validated his claims to being the one and only son of God because Jesus Christ is the only individual in the history of the world to fulfill dozens of ancient prophecies that were written hundreds of years before he was even born on this earth. For example, pretty hard to arrange where you're going to be born and where you will die it was predicted hundreds of years before crucifixion was ever adopted as a method of execution by the romans in isaiah 53 over and over the resurrection itself was predicted before it ever happened that jesus would would be the one there's a professor of mathematics peter stoner gave 600 students a math probability problem that would determine the odds for one person fulfilling eight specific prophecies. What were the odds that one person would fulfill these eight different prophecies? So he gives this problem to 600 students. And uh, these math students calculated that the odds of one person fulfilling all eight prophecies is an astronomical one in 10 to the 21st power. That's this huge number. Matter of fact, it's... The way Stoner kind of, I love this guy's name, Stoner. It's hard to believe, it's hard to believe a math professor when his name's Stoner, but okay. Stoner gave this following example. He said, first, blanket the entire mass of the earth with silver dollars, and then stack them up 120 feet high and then hide one of those silver dollars somewhere around the planet in that stack that's 120 feet high, covering the entire earth, and then take a man and blindfold him and have him randomly go and try and find the coin. That's the probability. And yet Jesus fulfilled dozens of ancient prophecies in one of the ways in which he validates his claim. He also validates his claim by living a sinless life and having unprecedented character. So many times, you know, when you get to know someone better and better, you kind of start to see the cracks in their life. It's like anybody can stand up here and talk, but the more you get to know me, you know how imperfect I am. And that's true of any of your, you know, any any people that you may look at from a distance and go, wow, man, I'd love to be them. Probably not, is the truth. And yet his followers spent time with him three years, 24-7, all the time watching his life. And as they got to know him better and better, they marveled more and more at his holiness, at his integrity, and at his sinless nature. In fact, Peter and John um, said this. John said, in him is no sin. Can you imagine somebody saying that about you or me? Peter said he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. The disciples, and some of the friends who knew Jesus the best were, were making this claim. Matter of fact, his own brother, James, followed him as God and Lord. Can you imagine that? I mean, my brother would not call me sinless, my mom might, my brother, no way. He knows better. And yet, here are these people who are family members, who are friends, who are disciples, and they are saying, Jesus is sinless. He's perfect. We've watched him his entire life. He's never sinned. And they went to their grave. They were put to death proclaiming that. Third, Jesus Christ performed unheard of miracles both then and now. Jesus challenged them. He said in John chapter 10, verse 37, he said, don't even believe me unless I do miracles of God. In other words, anyone can claim that they're the son of God. Anyone can make these claims. Don't even believe me unless you see these miracles. It's written in history that Jesus did miracles in broad daylight. There's 37 recorded miracles in the four gospels And then 38, if you count the resurrection, which I think is a pretty powerful miracle. Let's look at one of these miracles that attest to his uh, claim of being the Son of God. John chapter 9. If you have a Bible, you can open it there. John 9, starting in verse 1. Jesus is in Jerusalem. And he's walking down the road and he comes across this man who was blind from birth. John 9, 1. Now, blindness in the first century in Palestine, it wasn't exactly the same thing as it is today. I mean, it was a lot more severe. There were no treatments, there's no opportunities, there's no respect. There's only poverty and begging and dependency to look forward to. And I mean, the blindness or the darkness that this man lived in went beyond just the disability. I mean, his darkness included ridicule and scorn, being unemployed, being hopeless. And he's sitting there and he's begging and Jesus comes by and he sees this man and he does this incredible miracle. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he responds in healing the man and watch how he does it. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which... Means sent, So he went and he washed and he came back seen. A dramatic miracle had never been seen before. And I love the fact that this Jesus asked this man on this particular occasion to go and do something specific. And the man went and did it. He said yes to God. And he did it. And his life was transformed over his yes to God. He's healed. He's overwhelmed with joy. He goes back to his neighbors and to his friends and they didn't recognize him. I don't know if that's because he was like overjoyed and he was always downcast before. His eyes are wide open. Maybe they were baby blue. I don't know. But they couldn't recognize him. They're going, I don't even think that's the guy. I don't even think that's the guy that we pass by every day. I'm not sure that's my neighbor. And the guy, it's me. I've been healed by the power of God. And finally, he convinces enough of them that he is the one who was healed, that they go and they bring him before the Pharisees and they want to legitimize it. And they want to say, look, this guy's saying he was healed from birth and we know that there was a beggar that was here and he looks exactly like him. I still remember, like yesterday, the day that Jesus changed my life, touched my heart, opened up my eyes I mean, I was building a business, trying to get ahead in life. I was addicted to drugs, recreational use, of course, you know, (coughs) fooling a lot of people. I mean, I was rebellious in my heart. I used the truth to my advantage. I bent it whenever it was to my advantage. Looking back on it, I just see what a joke. I thought I was in control. I was self-absorbed, sinful and selfish. And then someone told me about the truth of Jesus Christ, that he wasn't just some guy that lived long ago. He wasn't just a good teacher, but he was the son of God who paid the penalty for my sin by dying on the cross. And through just a simple prayer of faith and turning to to Jesus Christ and putting my trust in him, I mean, he changed my life. He opened my eyes. He softened my heart. He restored me a transformed life. Now I went and I began to tell and talk to other people and people really didn't believe it. People thought like, well, yeah, we'll see. We've seen you change a lot of things and get excited about different things and then we'll give you a year. Other friends were like, man, did you join a cult? What happened to you? Other people were like, don't ever come to my party again. You're not fun anymore. My parents really had a hard time with it. They were like, oh, what happened to Mike? And it's weird when God touches your life and restores it and you've been transformed and yet you feel like you're having to convince people that it actually happened. It's been 38 years now. I'm hoping someone believes. (laughs) Don't let other people's voices blind you for what God can do in your life. See, these Jewish religious leaders, they're desperately searching for rational and reasonable answers as to why this did not happen. It must have been something else, that Jesus is not God, therefore it couldn't have happened. It just blew their mind. It didn't fit in their paradigm. They're trying to write it off. They're arguing with this man. They're interrogating his parents. And in John 9, verse 16, it says, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, Jesus they're talking about, not from God, he does not keep the Sabbath, he's a rule breaker. And so in verse 24, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. In other words, Jesus is just a man, he's not God, we don't know how this happened, but, you know, tired though of being intellectually argued with and exhausted from people's doubting and having to prove that this healing is legit. I love this guy's answer. He answered, it's classic, he says, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though, is that I was blind and now I see. Mic drop. (laughs) He just walks off. Tired of arguing with these guys. You can deny Jesus is God all day long, but I'm telling you, you can close your eyes as tight as you want, but it's still light outside. I was blind and now I see. I was blind and now I see. How about for you, if you were to fill that blank in? I was bitter and now I'm joyful. I was without hope, and now I have purpose and hope. I was once hateful, and now I am filled with love. I was once addicted to pornography, or to drugs, or whatever, and now I am free. Whatever it is, you see, Jesus is still doing some pretty miraculous things. Things in people's lives to transform. And as important as it is to understand maybe some of the history or science or theology or archaeology that go behind some of the proofs of why Jesus is who he said he is, there is nothing that is more relevant and more compelling than your story of transformation. There's nothing more influential and that is difficult to argue with than when God changes a life from the inside out, a life that there is no other way it could have been changed. The apostle Paul said it this way, he said, your very lives are a letter that anyone can read by just looking at you. Christ himself wrote it, not with ink, but with God's living spirit, not chiseled into stone, but carved into human lives, and we publish it. Jesus asked this blind man, he said, do you believe that I am the son of God. And the man said, yes, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. We make it so complicated sometimes. What is it, how do you come to God? How do you you become a Christian? How do you become a Christ follower? How do you put your faith in God? How do you walk with God? Yes, that's what it means. Yes, Lord, I believe. And then we worship him for who he is. How about you? Have you said your yes to God? Yes, that he is Lord? Some are still exploring. Some, kind of, some are here today just kind of putting these things together and thinking about them. And that's great. Continue to do that. Continue to think and study. But what makes Jesus so relevant today is that he's still changing lives. He's still doing miracles. He's still transforming people, breaking addictions, healing diseases, giving new hope, renewing minds. And his mighty power is at work and he wants to touch your life too. See, Christianity is not just a philosophy, it is a reality. And Jesus didn't just claim that he was one and only uh, one possible way to God? He said, no, I am the way to God. And he, he comes for each one of us who will open our heart and faith to him. So there's three possible things here. One is that you're here and you're just kind of investigating uh, the claims of Christ. And I, I just challenge you, continue that investigation. Read the Bible yourself. Don't just read about others who read the Bible. You read it. Read The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read them. Think about them. There's a book um, I highly recommend by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christ. And uh, write that down. Get that off of Amazon. And it's a great book that looks at all of these things in depth. And then there's others of us that maybe underestimate the power of your transformed life, your story. That God has given you a story, and it is powerful. There's about a hundred of us that are in rooted right now, and in a couple weeks, we're going to talk more about how do you put that together in a concise way that has compelling strength behind you sharing it with other people. And others, maybe you've been through it, and you've done that. Um, and you just need to get, those, get that back out and brush it off and look at it and say, God, this is... This is that I once was blind, now I see story. God, help me share this with other people. It's powerful, your story. And then thirdly, um, I think that there's many of us that believe the claims of Christ or followers of Jesus. And maybe we said an initial yes to God, but being a Christian and being transformed is a process over a lifetime. And so it's a continual yes to God. I love what this man, this blind man did when Jesus said, go and wash at the pool of Siloam, which meant sent. He sent him there. He asked him to go do it. Now, if he would not have done that, he probably would not have been healed that day. Jesus and the Bible that we talked about last week is constantly asking us questions. Is calling us to walk with God in a certain way What is the last thing that God said to you that maybe you haven't said yes to yet? You're still thinking about it, you're dragging your feet. Maybe you said no to it. Could be in the area of getting a relationship restored where God spoke to your heart or you saw it in scripture. To go and make something right, ask forgiveness. Go give forgiveness to someone and you haven't done it yet. Or maybe it's in the area of just generosity. God's trying to help you become a more generous person and you haven't stepped into the grace of generosity and you're just going, no, man, I have so little, I gotta just hold on and protect what I got. And he's waiting on you to say yes to him. Maybe it's in an area that he's asking you to say no to. Maybe he's saying, hey, quit living with your boyfriend or girlfriend or quit sleeping with so-and-so. Protect your spiritual purity and integrity. It's killing you. And we just, we've kind of shrugged it off and haven't haven't said yes. I'm convinced that wherever it is that God asked us to do something and we haven't done it, we start limiting the transformation that God wants to make in our life. He has more to do in each one of us. But it's contingent on a perpetual saying yes to God. So I challenge you, go back to the last thing God asked you to do and you haven't done it yet and make that right. Say yes to God and then watch him continue to heal you and transform your life. Let's spend some time praying over these things right now. Would you bow your head with me? I love this passage, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. God, we just say thank you. Thank you for coming in our pathway and reaching down in your mercy and love and redeeming and restoring and healing our lives. It's hard to even fathom that kind of love. And maybe you're here today And you know this is a day you need to step across that line of faith to say, yes, Lord, I believe, and to begin worshiping him. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer along with me right now. Jesus, I'm opening my heart to you, and I say yes, yes to you. Yes, that you are Lord, you are God. Yes, to forgiveness for all of my wrongdoing and all of my sin, Lord, would you forgive me? Remove this guilt, redeem my life and set me on your path. I want to become a worshiper of you. Jesus, I pray. If that was your prayer, God is at work right now, just restoring, redeeming, and he wants to put Christian friends in your life. He wants positive people in and around your life. Instead of constantly dragging you down and doubting transformation in your life, he wants to put people around you that will support you, pray for you, and applaud what God is doing. So get connected. Get connected with other people right here at North Church. Lord, there's others of us that we have a story, a testimony. We have something that you've done in our life and we tend to underestimate it. And I pray, God, for each one of us, Lord, that we would brush off the dust of that story, God, and we would recognize it has power because it's a it's a, it's a a story of transformation in our life. And give us opportunity to share that with others. And then lastly, God, I know that there are those of us in the room that We need to say yes to something you've already asked us to do and we haven't done it. And it's limiting the work of your spirit in our life. It's limiting our transformation. So Lord, I pray, God, that you'll bring eyes to see for each one of us and an ear to hear for each one of us, whatever it is, God, that you've said, you made it clear and we kind of blew it off. And we haven't done it. We haven't stepped out in faith or we haven't cut something off or out of our life that we needed to. And Lord, I just pray, would you just convict each one of us and help us. Help us to go like the man, the blind man who went to the pool of Siloam. Help us to just do what you say. And then Lord, to look forward to the transformation that you will bring. God, we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So much, so much there to chew on and to think on and to reflect and to digest. And I can encourage you to keep on doing that all week long. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to wind down this series on tough questions, and we're going to talk about uh, suffering and why God allows it and what He does with it and how we can meet God in the midst of our suffering. So. If you're one of those odd persons who has occasionally throughout your life encountered hardship or difficulty or suffering, next week will be really, really relevant for you. And if that's not you, you know someone who could use that as well. So let's do some inviting also. Hey, if you'd like someone to pray with you or pray for you, our prayer team is going to be over here on this side of the auditorium. You can kind of let them know you'd like some prayer. Over here, uh, the first connect is going to happen. Those who are new and interested in getting connected, I would love to meet with you for a few minutes. God bless you. Have a great rest of your weekend.